0: welcome to the sports media walk podcast this is john lewis along with you Lerner. don't forget to subscribe at the smw podcast feed on apple and spotify let's dig into the super bowl numbers of course 123.7 million viewers for kansas city's overtime win over the 49ers on sunday the top audience in nielsen history officially the top audience in nielsen history remains 124.6 million for patriots falcons in 2017 but out of home viewing was not included in the official number that year. It was measured, but not part of the official currency. So yes, it is the most watched uh, television program ever officially. Does this actually matter? Does anyone really care? It doesn't matter. It's all PR. That's really all it is. The, The entire entertainment media that covers the networks is itself PR. So, obviously, most-watched shows since the moon landing sounds a lot better than most-watched show in seven years. But it was the most-watched in seven years. And look, I'm not trying to diminish it. It was a tremendous number. Uh, I, I would never have thought 123.7 million. That seemed too high even a week ago to me. Uh, and even if it's not the top audience uh, ever recorded by Nielsen, it's certainly, you would think, no worse than top five. I mean, even if you include the years when Nielsen wasn't doing out of home, there's only a few Super Bowls where the in-home audience was so high that out of home would have obviously resulted in a bigger audience. Patriot Seahawks uh, in, in 2015, you know, that kind of uh, Super Bowl. A few of those that were in the 100 and, 100 and teens, uh, I, I would say, would probably rank in the same, in the same, on the same level. And there's not that many of them. Let's see, uh, Patriots, Seahawks, uh, you know, Seahawks, Broncos, which was a 35-point blowout and still had an in-home audience of 112 million, you know, uh, really and truly, if we're assuming that out-of-home viewing contributes about 12 to 13 million viewers for a Super Bowl, a reasonable assumption, there's not that many that would, that would be higher than what we saw Sunday night. So it's not the most watched show ever. All the headlines that you see about that are from people who don't actually know what the Nielsen situation is. They don't know about out-of-home viewing, or they just don't care. But make no mistake, I'm not diminishing it. This is one of the biggest audiences in TV history, and a tremendous number for a league that three years ago, the Super Bowl was barely at 100 million viewers across all platforms. So to get to 123 million, uh, no league has recovered from the COVID uh, lull like the NFL has and uh, great numbers there i do have to cop to the fact that obviously i said i didn't think the taylor swift effect was going to be that significant for the super bowl uh and uh i i would still say you know i'm not going to credit the taylor swift effect for the record number but i do think that it obviously made a difference i wrote the article last night about the demo numbers uh 24 increase in women 18 to 24 20 increase in men 18 to 24 which is kind of interesting uh, you would, I mean, I don't know, uh, were men also was interested by Taylor Swift? But considering the other male demos, which were up very slightly, twenty percent among men eighteen to twenty-four is noteworthy, um, and uh, also uh, girls twelve to seventeen also up double digits. No other demo was up double digits. I mean, that's the obvious effect of of the Taylor Swift uh, presence. I will say that uh, we're still only talking about between those three demos, uh, one point eight million additional viewers a huge number, obviously, but, you know, again, as I've said since the beginning of this, and I'm not saying that 1.8 million is marginal, but it's additive. It takes a number that was already going to be at a record and makes it even bigger. So, uh, but I will say I didn't think it was going to be much bigger than a typical Super Bowl because there's celebrities here all the time. Obviously, it was bigger than a typical Super Bowl in that regard. So, Drew, you were correct in your skepticism of my point last week, and I will bring you in on that note.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's pretty hard to imagine that, especially just looking at the media environment right now, where every other think piece that's released involves Taylor Swift. Like, you know, she's just such a cultural phenomenon that uh, it was hard to imagine she wouldn't have at least some impact, uh, especially on the younger women demos. I also think you should probably credit a little bit to the Nickelodeon broadcast. I mean, that's going to bring in younger viewers as well. So when you're combining uh, these numbers between CBS, Nickelodeon and, and uh, Univision, those Nickelodeon numbers will also help those younger demos. It, as you said, it's also just additive, right? You know, that's not going to be a huge number or anything. But uh, when, when you're talking about the younger demos, uh, it, it could help there.
0: I did want to just note, I don't have the Nickelodeon numbers included in my demo breakdown because I don't have a demo breakdown for the Nickelodeon broadcast. There's some weirdness there in terms of the reporting for that, uh, for that game because obviously Nickelodeon and Nick at Night are the same channel, but for Nielsen purposes, just like with Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, they are different channels. So there's two ratings reported, if you noticed on my uh, on my chart, two ratings reported for the Super Bowl on Nick. One is for the part of the game that runs from 8 o'clock to the end. The other is from 6.40 to 8, because Nick and Nick at Night are two different channels to Nielsen. So I don't have a breakdown there. Uh, And uh, I will say 1.2 million for the Nickelodeon simulcast. I mean, those two simulcasts, Nickelodeon and Univision, over 3 million between them, as I expected. Uh, But 120 million on CBS alone is, is crazy. I would not have thought of that.
1: So how much are we attributing this record number to the Taylor Swift effect versus the fact that this was just a, a close game. Um, I know it wasn't the most uh, entertaining game for much of, for much of the you know, first few quarters, but it went to overtime. It was close. Um, how much of it had to do with that? And then also Usher, of course, um, might have you know, provided more of a pop than we initially anticipated.
0: Well, it depends on how many clicks you need. If you need a lot of clicks, and you're attributing all to Taylor Swift, right? And you're using her her name in, in every headline that you write over the past uh, eight days. But no, to be serious, I think everything played a role. I think the game, uh, obviously, going to overtime and being the longest Super Bowl. Remember, Nielsen, these are all average minute audiences. So the longer you go at an elevated audience, and even though viewership tends to wind down by the time the game is over, it's still going to be higher in the final quarter hours than in the first quarter hours. So uh, to have the game go on an extra, what was it, an extra hour? Something like that uh, obviously helps. And the game being close and exciting obviously helps. And, uh, you know, obviously Usher seems to have made uh, a dent. There was a lot of this, uh, you know, people really going after my demographic, um, you know, which is interesting. I noticed that Paramount Plus commercial. why would they have Hey Arnold in that Paramount Plus commercial, right? Hey Arnold isn't on the air. Hasn't been on the air in a while. Even the uh, the reboot movie they did was seven years ago. So if you're 10, you don't remember that. Um, and uh, it, it's because obviously my demographic, uh, the two cartoons in that ad, Hey Arnold and Peppa Pig, you either remember it from when you were a kid or you have a young child now who is watching it. So look, I mean, it was interesting because the Usher thing was also going after my demo. Uh, and I guess uh, you know maybe that was bigger with that demo than than I would have thought. But speaking of that demo, maybe it wasn't because if you look at the chart from my article, 25 to 54 was underwhelming relatively across the board. That includes women. So women 18 to 24 up 24 percent. Women 25 to 54 up six percent, which is in line with the overall increase. But 25 to 54 in women was up only 6%. In men, up 1%. Men, 25 to 54. This was unchanged from last year's Super Bowl. Uh, so uh, maybe the Usher factor was not able to... I mean, I don't really know how you explain that, honestly.
1: Yeah, it, it is interesting. You know, I think in a lot of ways, and this is going to go back to the whole Taylor Swift thing, um, for younger viewers or potential viewers before Taylor Swift they might have been more apathetic to watching the NFL right it, it just wasn't put in front of them as much but now with you know the advent of TikTok and you know Taylor Swift kind of taking over that platform there's just more awareness in that age bracket the 18 to 24 it, it is interesting to see that you know boys 12 to 17 was also kind of right on par with the average growth. I would have expected that would have been right in line with you know, girls 12 to 17, but other than that, every single younger demographic really uh, outperformed.
0: Well, why would boys 12 to 17 not be on par with girls 12 to 17, but men 18 to 24 are on par with women 18 to 24? I mean, it would the height of stupidity, and I mean that, is to read into television ratings broad societal trends. But that's what everyone does now, right? I know there's been a lot of writing about you know, the gender gap that's growing among younger people. And everyone lumped Gen Z into the same thing. But as we know, within generations, there are differences, right? And so maybe it is the case that boys 18 to 24, or excuse me, men 18 to 24 and women 18 to 24 have less of a gap than boys 12 to 17 and girls 12 to 17. It's an odd it's an odd disjuncture between those uh, two age groups.
1: Yeah, and you you never know. It could just be sampling. Um, yeah. th- this is all inexact. I do want to get your opinion on um, the total audience number that they like to put, put out there for the Super Bowl. Um, in your original article, I'm not sure if they've updated this since, um, Nielsen reported that there is 202.4 million viewers who watched all or part, which would um, mean at least six minutes of the Super Bowl this year. That was up 10% from last year's Super Bowl, where that number was 184 million. Uh, is that a number that you like to read into for these big tentpole events?
0: I used to rail against this at least 6 minutes stat when I was first writing, because you know this was something the networks would always highlight, because the numbers were bigger. I've always thought that the at least six minutes stat, six minutes to me is not that compelling. I mean, I guess it is. I mean, six minutes is a decent amount of time, but just because you sit down for a six minute period of time doesn't mean you're really watching the game. I will say this though. If you want a really good comparison between a single event and a series, that's probably the way to go. Because, you know, 202 million viewers for four hours is incredible. But, you know, the World Series, I would be curious, it's not 202 million. Probably, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to say a number because I can't think of what it would be, but it's probably not that bad. I I would say the gap between 123.7 million viewers in the average minute and 9 million is way bigger than the gap that I think you would see if you were comparing that 202 million to the full five-game World Series, the full five-game NBA Finals. I would say if you go back to 2016 or so, you know, it's entirely possible that World Series and NBA Finals, both of which went seven, were right there with the Super Bowl as far as that 202, particularly that World Series. I would say if you gave me those numbers and I saw 2016 World Series versus either the 16 Super Bowl, definitely the 16 Super Bowl, or even the 17 Super Bowl, I would say the World Series is probably neck and neck. Uh, on that basis,
1: that's that's really interesting. And of course, I mean, you have the advantage of having games on multiple days, exactly. and yeah. So it's so it's, not,
0: it's still not Apple's staff
1: Yes, yes, but um, that that is that would be a fascinating comparison. Um, it is you know pretty shocking to see a number over two hundred million. Um, because that will bring you over you know half of the American public yep. that at least watch part of it. So that, that's how I I like to think about that figure.
0: One thing we're gonna see in 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 the summer n b c loves to use that number for the Olympics, so let's see what the Olympic number is over the yeah. great nights. great quite a few Olympics that have been in that two hundred million range. I mean, I don't know if the the numbers will be like that this time, but keep an eye on that.
1: one more thing I think that is necessary to cover for the Super Bowl here um and admittedly, John, you know, I was on a flight during the Super Bowl, so I did not see a single snap. I did not watch the broadcast this is The first time in my life I can I can say that. Um, So I'm going to leave this one to you because I've seen plenty of the criticisms about the broadcast, specifically uh, our friend Tony Romo here. So, John, what did you think about the performance of the broadcast booth? The broadcast overall was the production uh, up to snuff. Uh, What were your takeaways from Sunday night's Super Bowl?
0: Well, I'm going to echo something I said two weeks ago, which is I don't understand the person who has a problem with Tony Romo and has no problem with Taylor Swift, because it's all the same thing. It's an entertainment product. The Super Bowl is not for for football fans. It's not. It's it's an entertainment show. Uh, And it's for that reason that I personally, if you gave me a choice between the Super Bowl and Week 5 of Red Zone, I'm taking Week 5 of Red Zone. Yeah, the stakes are lower, and certainly a great Super Bowl down the stretch is is the best thing in football. But you know, the Super Bowl broadcast is for people who probably a lot of them actively dislike football. The whole issue of expecting NFL matchup level analysis on a broadcast that has 50 million in case in in the case of some playoff games and 124 million in terms of the Super Bowl. Who is being served if Tony Romo suddenly tones down all of the shit? To be a more straight-laced down-the-middle analyst in the Super Bowl. Who's sir? Because it's less than half of the audience that served. The maximum NFL audience at for any given game in any given week of the season, the maximum is like 50-something million viewers. Less than half the audience that watched the Super Bowl. So if you are trying to figure out, well, let's have Tony Romo give, you know, uh, a, 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 a football focused. You know, you know, just purely analytical approach, you're not serving most of the audience. So I mean, to me, I would be lying if I said that I noticed anything with Romo. As I said before, I am a football casual. Now, I would say that I enjoy the game more than the entertainment aspects. I've never enjoyed the entertainment aspect of sports. I've always just wanted the games. Uh, but he sounded fine to me. Uh, He and Nance seemed nondescript, uh, you know, and uh, that's basically all I can really say.
1: One criticism I did see come up uh, in a few places was his call on the final play in overtime, the one that won it for the Chiefs. The criticism just, you know, in a nutshell was that he... He led into the play where Nance wasn't able to properly set it up, and then he didn't really let the moment breathe once the touchdown was scored. Uh, he was talking over it. Did you notice that in the moment? Is that something that bothers you?
0: I didn't notice it in the moment because I was really focused on the game. Truth be told, we do see that sometimes where the analyst steps all over the play-by-play. Steve Snapper-Jones, who I love Steve Snapper-Jones, he used to do that a lot. If you've ever seen the play where Allen Houston hits a game winner against the Knicks in in 99, Steve Jones is talking all the way up to the point that Allen Houston releases a shot. Tom Hammond has to get that call out really fast as a result. And not the first time. He would do that. There's there's quite a few plays where where that would happen. It's not a criticism. I love Steve Jones. But, you know, um, look, if you're working with Tony Romo, you have to expect that he's going to be elbowing you out of the way sometimes. I think Nance has to be used to that. You have to adjust your style. To fit what he's doing, maybe that's not the way it should be. But when you're paying him the kind of money you're paying him, yeah, the play-by-play is going to have to adjust around it. Um, And uh, it would have been better maybe to clear out and let the play-by-play be the star. But the play-by-play is not the star of this team. Play-by-play is the star in a lot of uh, in a a lot of sports. Uh, In the in this NFL uh, on on CBS anyway, Romo is the star. So if anyone's voice is going to be heard, uh, why not his?
1: Fair enough. Any other news and notes, um, broadcast notes, ratings notes about the Super Bowl that you'd like to get to before we uh, move on here?
0: Well, I mean, the pregame was up. Everything was up uh, consistently. Uh, I do want to say, going back to the demos, I would note, obviously, when we talk about women 18 to 24, men 18 to 24, there's so few viewers in those demos that that will also contribute to those percentages being much higher. When we're talking about the small gain in men 25 to 54, that is a small gain, and it is small in the raw number, but you're still talking about way more viewers in that demo. Uh, So, you know, let's not go too crazy, Uh, and it is also very important because I've hated this storyline really all year long, the idea that dads and daughters are finally watching football together. Girls 12 to 17, up 11% from last year, 2.91 million. Last year, it was 2.63 million. 2.63 million. There were already 2.63 million girls 12 to 17 watching the Super Bowl. So don't give me this nonsense about how, oh, dads and daughters are finally watching football together. There were a ton, millions even, of, of, of girls in that age group watching the NFL already. And it's extremely retrograde to pretend that the growth that Taylor Swift has fomented is also the creation of a fan base that did not already exist. That fan base already existed, okay? What's happened this year just adds to those numbers that were already there. Uh, so I wanted to say that for sure. Uh, I guess the obligatory advertising mention, all those ads seem mm. terrible to me. You didn't see them, obviously. Nope. You know, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of me sitting down trying to figure out what happened to comedy.
1: Uh, I, I, I saw there's a, a lot of religion involved. Is uh, that That seems pretty new.
0: Well, I know that the, uh, the, he gets us Jesus people who Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone likes that group because they're left leaning religious group. So the conservative Christians don't like it, but also a lot of the people on the left probably don't like it either. So I don't really know what their audience, uh, uh, what their audience is. I know they had an ad. I did not see it though.
1: Uh, That's fascinating. Yeah. Earlier this year, I went to a basketball college basketball tournament where one of those, uh, you know, multi-team events as they call them that was a uh, and the presenting sponsor was the the he gets us people yeah. and yeah between uh you know media timeouts and stuff but uh, it got a little weird in the arena but yeah uh, yeah i'm well, still I mean, trying to figure out what their goal is
0: it's like talking politics why would you talk politics or religion during the super bowl mm-hmm. um i do want to say you know one of the things that's been so odd over the past really 14 not 14 years but the past decade since 2014 um has been obviously the culture war that really started in 2014. You can, there's so many different people who pinpoint that particular year as the beginning of it. And the fact that it extends into sports ratings. Uh, I've noticed a lot of this over the past year. Obviously, the Taylor Swift culture war, extremely stupid culture war that we've, uh, that we've had over the past few months. Um, but even before that, uh, you can go to the Caitlin Clark versus Angel Reese culture war that we had uh, last April. With the NBA, there was no specific incident. But anytime you talk about NBA ratings, that becomes part of the culture war that people are hanging on to from 2020. Uh, and uh, over and over and over again, when you get to the biggest events in the sport, you can't have a mass audience anymore without weird political nonsense. And that's definitely something that, as you know, you it almost becomes uh, a dread to have to deal with the biggest events in these sports. Um, It almost becomes oh here we go, Uh, and uh, you know there's nothing so wrong with being unpopular, because I'll tell you something. You get to the Stanley Cup final, and it's just hockey fans, and not even hockey fans. Like half the hockey fans don't watch because their team's not in it. So it's like just people who just want to watch the game and don't want to debate anything aren't going to be weirdly angry about anything. And uh, if I don't think you can have a mass audience anymore without having
1: This was actually a big week in sports media news just more generally outside the Super Bowl. Yesterday kind of being a a huge story which is kind of what we expected. ESPN is going to be the exclusive broadcaster for the college football playoff. Um, they reached a 6-year deal according to the Athletic um that'll average out to about 1.3 billion dollars a year and include all of the additional inventory uh, from the expanded playoff yeah. the the one note uh, here is that espn negotiated the uh, right to sublicense some of these games if they desired so they could hypothetically you know license a, a game or two or three to fox or cbs or anyone else that would be interested in it but uh, at the end of the day espn does own the rights um, what are your main takeaways here john
0: my main takeaway is that the market is really tight. College football playoff went to market. They wanted $2 billion. I mean, maybe they didn't want it, but somebody told front office sports that $2 billion was a possibility. So there, there was some talk of that. They get $1.3 billion. You're talking about you're not even doubling your existing rights fee, despite the fact that the inventory is so much better. right? This is, uh, this is inventory that is now, every single game is meaningful. Right now, it's a deal that includes four exhibitions that don't matter. Where who who even cares who wins or loses? Florida State didn't even field a team against Georgia this year in, in the Orange Bowl. So, I mean, uh, to only double your rights fee when all of the games are going to be meaningful is a, a, a glaring red light. It's a siren. Uh, and I think for the NBA, you got to be really concerned. I mean, the NBA is big enough to buck the trend. But they're going to have to buck the trend because the trend is that these properties are coming to market and they are seeing that there's not the interest they thought there'd be.
1: Yeah. Well, when you hear people in the industry, experts in the industry talk uh, surrounding meteorites, they always talk about um, the thing that really drives value is, it's pretty simple. You have to have multiple bidders. Um, And I kind of look at this deal, and I wonder how serious were the other bidders that weren't ESPN? How serious was Fox about getting some of these games? How serious was CBS, Amazon, because ESPN, you know, through all the reporting, was not going to allow another network to share the college football playoff national title game, similar to like a Super Bowl rotation. So when you take that off the table, I think the interest from everyone else in the market was much diminished, which really put the college football playoff in a tough position because they're either going to have to anger their, their main media rights partner ESPN by you know, sharing the title game, or they're going to have to kind of, you know, capitulate to ESPN's desires here, which ultimately they did. All right.
0: Yeah. I think, well, first of all, I would be curious to know what the situation was with front office sports. Because they put out report after report after report about, hey, we're going to try maybe, you know, maybe it'll be uh, a rotation for the national championship. Like all of their reporting, all the way up to like the day before ESPN said in their report that they were going to keep the whole thing. They were saying Fox is going to prepare a massive bid. Who was talking to front office sports? Was that person in the loop? So obviously somebody at the college football playoff. Was that person in the loop? Was that person just leading them astray? Was there a circumstance where people at the CFP thought this was all going to happen? That's what I'm interested in, because the what ends up happening is totally foreign compared to what the reporting, primarily from front office sports, was indicating. So that, I think, is very interesting, because obviously, you know, we're looking at a circumstance now where, yeah, okay, ESPN will probably sub-license a few of these games. And people at the CFP said on the record that they wanted multiple partners, but this isn't multiple partners. This isn't multiple partners. This is ESPN's going to give you a game or two in the early rounds. I don't even think they're going to get many takers. I know that ESPN's report uh, back uh, late last year said Fox would be interested in the sub-license agreement. Why? If you're Fox, you want Liberty versus Oregon in the first round of the playoff? What? Why would you want any of it? I, I, I can't imagine anyone wanting to sub-license these games because ESPN's not going to sub-license a semifinal. I don't even think they're going to sub license a quarterfinal. I mean, the quarterfinals are still big time bowl games. You're going to sub license the Orange Bowl. So it's going to be, in my view, maybe two first round games. Why in the world, if you're Fox, would you want that? I mean, the first round is going to be barely better than, like, you know, especially since it'll probably be the worst games of the first round. So it'll be barely better than, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, it won't be better than a conference title game. It'll be lower than that. Why spend money on it?
1: I do want to um I do want to get back to what you said about the front office sports reporting because that is a really interesting angle here. Um, if I'm gathering you know your point of view correctly, you think that perhaps someone within the college football playoff was you know telling giving information to front office sports in the hopes that it would drive ESPN's bid higher. Um, to kind of drum up maybe that the package was getting more interest than it truly was.
0: Well, no, actually, that's actually a probably a, a pretty interesting way of looking at it. I was just thinking that there was someone there who didn't know what was going on <laughs> and that front office sports, you know, th- their source was like a back room guy or something, you know, but, uh, your that point
1: could, be actually, it could be possibly possible too.
0: Yeah. Your point is actually pretty good. Like maybe this was uh, trying to negotiate through the media, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, I I can't remember who wrote it. Otherwise, I would have put it in my article. There was a report by somebody that the interest level in the CFP was not what people expected. I have no recollection of what website or, or a reporter this was, but there was a report toward the end where it was like, yeah, there's actually not that much interest in these CFP rights. And that obviously ended up being correct Because if there had been, this deal would not have played out. Um plain and simple
1: well when we're looking at the rights landscape more broadly right especially in the context of the nba deals coming up do you think this is more of an anomaly that you know there just was pretty muted interest from the rest of the potential buyers um you know outside of disney espn mm-hmm. versus the nba which you know seems to have interest at least legitimate interest from four partners
0: well, I don't know if the NBA has a legit, uh, legitimate interest from four partners. You know, Amazon's always mentioned in everything. Amazon did pick up NASCAR. They picked up 3 NASCAR races. Is that right? No, 5. They picked up 5 yes. NASCAR races. Which is weird. I don't know why they did that. Um I don't, and, and that's not casting any aspersions on NASCAR. It's more along the lines of now you have to go put together a crew, spend money to go to these races. It's not simple to do that. 5 straight weeks of races. You're, you're, you're packing up your whole road show. I mean, it's expensive. You know, that's why ESPN and Turner, when their deals were up about a decade ago, were like, hey, can we just get out this year? I mean, it's, it's an expensive sport to cover. Um, but they did get NASCAR, but a lot of the time, you know, they're just kind of mentioned and it's assumed that they're going to be making this big bid and, and they don't. Same with Apple. The NBA is in a good spot because ultimately, if you've noticed, everything is a renewal. Everything is a continuation. No one is really adding anything new, but they have to keep what they have. And so that's good for the NBA because ESPN and Turner need to keep what they have. And the NBA is vital to both ESPN and Turner. I don't even think TNT can keep existing for that much longer without the NBA. And with all the rebranding they've done, TNT sports, all that stuff, it's pretty clear that Zaslab and company, they intend to continue with sports being a big part of the company. So the NBA is good on that front with renewals. They'll get more money uh, from both ESPN and Turner, obviously. Um, But, I mean, what's the interest level from anyone else? Go ahead.
1: Uh, I think you bring up a really interesting point where, you know, this college football package, this was not a renewal. This was additional inventory, which is rare in the marketplace, right? It might not actually garner the value that a renewal would because you already have that built-in audience when you're renewing a package. This is a bit more of an unknown, right? We don't really know the interest that some of these early round college football playoff games are going to garner. Um, we could obviously project out and say, well, you know, these are meaningful games and they will draw, you know, some significant audience of some sort, but it is still a little bit more uncertain than a renewal, like you said. But generally speaking uh, and this is kind of where i wanted to get at is this college football playoff deal a bit of a bellwether in terms of the media rights market as a whole or is it just kind of more of an anomaly where interest in this particular property was just more muted
0: i think it's a bellwether for sure um you know speaking of amazon yeah, you know, it occurs to me, they were mentioned, obviously, as a potential home for, the, for playoff games. They're mentioned all the time. I don't even think they were ever really a serious factor in that. One thing with Amazon I wanted to mention, they, they passed on the NFL playoff game. That was a shocking thing for me to read. Uh, whoever it was, I guess it was uh, Joe Flint at the Wall Street Journal who reported on the playoff game and said that Amazon was, was given the opportunity to air the playoff game. And they passed. That tells me, I mean, they are not just saying, oh wow, big event. We have to have it. They're being selective. It's weird that they wouldn't have just said, yeah, we'll obviously take that. No, they're being selective. They for them, it's like, you know, it has to be the right thing. The playoff, obviously, there was just not a lot of interest beyond ESPN for the price that CFP wanted. And I'll be intrigued to see with the NBA. Everyone just assumes. I know Amazon's on the record saying they're interested. At what price? Because, you know, I'm interested in, you know, buying a New York City penthouse. But what's the price? You know, I mean, obviously, the price point is going to be important to me. So, um, look, I I think I would not be depending on the streamers to save anybody. And if the streamers aren't saving anybody, the business is not strong enough right now for people to be aggressively adding things. Ten years ago, Fox was aggressively adding things. And so ESPN and Turner... Had to really overpay for the NBA, uh, and you know, no one's adding anything. Fox is totally out of, you know, out of commission on on, on that front. They aren't pursuing anything that they don't already have. Uh, they're a lot like CBS has been over the past twenty years under Sean McManus and uh, McManus who just retired. CBS was always very disciplined. They weren't picking up willy-nilly things, except for really small stuff that they probably aren't paying much for.
1: McManus will be retiring after the Masters this year, so he still does have a couple months. Oh, right. Let's not put him into the early retirement there.
0: Well, you know, he uh, nearly ended his tenure on a pretty memorable note uh, because uh, he made the comment about the double overtime, and I'm quite sure he, wa- he must have been uh, white-knuckling it because they got three seconds away from that double overtime, and he would have created, unwittingly, the longest-lasting uh, conspiracy theory we've ever seen in sports. He came three seconds away from being CBS executive said that this was going to go to double overtime, and it did. It's all rigged. You know, I mean, that was, that was close.
1: Yeah, that's actually hilarious, because I, I remember seeing that before the Super Bowl, and, yeah, for it to get three ticks of the clock away yeah. from double overtime, that, <laughs> that would have fed a lot of conspiracies. That would have had a long tail.
0: And I mean, it's not really. I mean, I'm I'm joking a little bit, but people would have absolutely believed it. It would have circulated forever. Trump <clears throat> probably would have mentioned it. I'm not even kidding. You know how big a conspiracy theorist he is. So yeah, I mean, it would have been bad.
1: <laughs> John, speaking of Amazon, and I think this was in the same Wall Street Journal report that you just mentioned. They will be getting a playoff game uh, next year in the wild card round, um, paying a pretty similar price, if I recall, to NBC's. Peacock this year. Um, give us the details on that.
0: Yeah, Wall Street Journal reported this uh last week and Amazon will get a playoff game. Uh and as I said, they were offered the playoff game this year and didn't take it. Uh it'll be interesting. This means Al Michaels gets back into the playoff rotation, all things being well, um, and uh gives him an opportunity to maybe have his final game be a playoff game. It'll be very interesting to see if the NFL gives Amazon a game of the level of quality that it gave Peacock. So you know, Amazon paying about two hundred million additional in rights fees between the Black Friday game and the playoff game, uh, and uh, you do that for the NFL for two hundred million dollars, you'd have gotten the entirety of the NCAA's you know non basketball championships, all of them. But you know, two NFL games probably brings more value to you than than all of that. I mean, uh, certainly. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, interesting. It's going to be. Um, you know, the second streaming exclusive playoff game, that's going to become a tradition, I'm sure. I'm sure that sixth playoff game on the wild card round every year is going to be on a streamer.
1: I, I will garner to say this will not get as much, um, as much pushback on Capitol Hill as the Peacock game because there's a lot more people with Amazon Prime already than there are you know, people with Peacock subscriptions. So I think this is going to be a bit of a smoother go at it. Um, maybe not as much outrage as we saw um, from lawmakers and then the general public uh, about the Peacock game.
0: Well, Amazon is a streamer, but it's not a streamer. It is something that people are familiar with. It's in everybody's lives. And so Peacock, it sounds, what is Peacock, right? People know what Amazon is. So there won't be the backlash for this. Um, Now, there'll probably still be some irritation, but no backlash.
1: All right, one more topic um, to hit on today, and that is the news out of the NBA. Well, I should say the news out of ESPN about the NBA. Um, the Athletics Andrew Marshand, which you know, seems a little inter <laughs> a little foreign to say right now, but you know he is now working for the Athletic. So the Athletics Andrew Marchand reported that J.J. Redick will in fact be added to the broadcast booth of Mike Breen endorse burke for the nba finals and you know the rest of the playoffs and the package uh going forward this year so i know we've talked about it on this podcast prior that we weren't i think both of us weren't really fans of adding reddick to the equation here um so what do you think now that it is actually going to happen
0: well i mean i'm not a huge fan of the move obviously but you know reddick obviously is someone who ESPN is high on, understandably so. He seems like he's going to have a very long and productive career in media. I would say it probably helps that he goes on first take. The person who runs ESPN's NBA coverage is a first take guy. He's an ESPN morning show guy. It is what it is. I'm not saying he's undeserving or anything. I mean, obviously you need new blood. The NBA is not, you know, the NBA audience isn't what it always was. A lot of the young fans, they couldn't stand Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, they they didn't like Mark. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, I mean, I like Jeff. That's not really the audience the NBA is trying to cultivate. They're trying to cultivate the younger audience. And uh, I think uh, Redick appeals to them. Um, you know, I think you could have had faith in Doris that she could do it on her own. I don't think she needs a secondary person to be there, ta- you know, taking up all the oxygen uh, in, in the discussion.
1: I agree. And I, I do think this really looks bad optics wise for ESPN. Um, you had Mike Breen and Doris Burke there, two longtime professionals in this, in this space. And to bring in JJ Redick, who's just in his third season as a TV analyst. And I know, you know, with high profile athletes, they get the fast track. Tom Brady is going to be calling a Super Bowl next year, and he's yeah. never called a football game in his life. So this is not, you know, unprecedented. But I don't think JJ Redick is on the same level as Tom Brady no. here. Um, he does kind of fit the profile of someone you would expect an executive to elevate quicker than others, right? Mm-hmm. He You know, he's appealing to the younger demo. He's young. uh, He's fresh out of the league. And he's, like you said, a bit more of a podcaster than a TV analyst at this point. So the the reasons they're bringing him in are clear. But if I'm Doris Burke, I, I, I take offense to this, quite honestly.
0: I don't think Doris is going to take offense. I mean, she's somebody who, you know, just started her career 40 years ago. She's going to do an NBA Finals. There's no idea of a female analyst doing the NBA Finals when she started out. I'm sure she's still uh, happy for the opportunity. Um, But, you know, there's a big difference between Doc and Doris, excuse me, Doc and JJ. Doc has done the NBA Finals before. And, uh, you know, JJ, and I, I, I wrote this in my article, has never called a game or been in the studio past the second round of the playoffs. He's the first analyst where that's true for an NBA Finals since Isaiah Thomas, who was not very good on NBC in his first go-around. Isaiah's a much better analyst now, but uh, when he started on NBC in the most-watched NBA Finals uh, on record in 1998, go back and watch the 98 Finals. Anyone who's seen clips of the 98 Finals knows Isaiah was not. He was just not at the level that he needed to be at that time. Uh, that's why one of the reasons why they brought in Doug Collins as soon as he was fired from the Pistons, uh, and uh, you know, to me, you want your NBA Finals analysts to have a little bit more experience, to have done it a few times at that level. I mean, how many games has JJ done? I mean, he he's, he, he's in his third year, has never worked past the second round, and um, yes, there's plenty of examples from football of analysts just going straight into the biggest game. And we know football has much bigger audiences than the NBA, but on the NBA specifically, this is a rarity. Uh, We have not seen this very often where someone just kind of starts their career and is immediately calling the finals.
1: Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the chemistry develops between the team. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, shoehorn JJ Reddick into, you know, kind of being somebody that is going to, dominate the conversation kind of like we've speculated on the podcast so far i think he is a very talented analyst uh he's very engaging um i've never actually heard him call a game thus far i've only seen him in the studio and in a podcast environment so i enjoy him on those types of shows uh and it'll be interesting to see if that translates to a a game broadcast
0: You know, beyond anything else, ESPN didn't have a deep enough bench to just fire Jeff and Mark. That was a ridiculous decision. Uh, They decided, we're going to fire Jeff and Mark, we're going to bring in Doc Rivers and we'll be fine. Not realizing that Doc Rivers has never stayed in broadcasting for more than five minutes at a time. Uh, It was a great hire. Doc's a great analyst. But frankly, they should have brought in Doc as a secondary guy and kept Jeff and Mark,
1: you know? Well, think about about the bench they would have had had they kept Jeff and Mark, right? They would have had, you know, Richard Jefferson, Doris Burke, you know, Hubie um, Brown. Yeah. I mean, all these guys, and not to mention JJ Redick. That, that's like three really solid teams yeah. already, you know, and to fire your top two guys, and now you're scrambling because uh, the the guy you brought in has gone to coach. Like, right. yeah, this is really just um, shooting yourselves in the foot.
0: Well, I mean, your B-team is now Richard Jefferson by himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, 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 are you, what in the world are you going to do there? I mean, Richard is a good analyst, but I mean, as a solo analyst, I don't think he can be doing your second biggest game of a, of a week. Um, yeah. So I said before that I don't know if I have confidence in Dave Roberts' vision on the NBA. And, you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'm not Preskin. But um, I i still don't have confidence in his vision for the nba and i think he's you look at what they have now they have had now because of the firing of jeff and mark they've had to um they had doris on the b team now he's on the a team they had Redick on the b team now he's on the a team you have a much weaker b team your c team is hubie brown who's 90 years old your your d team i mean monica McNutt is i mean you know, she's fine. I mean, I'm not going to disparage her at all. I don't know that she's at a level where she's going to be doing playoff games at a really high level. Uh, Stephanie White won't be able to do playoff games. She's got a job in May and June and July. So what exactly is your bench here? Um, And, and to me, uh, you know, golly, I mean, I know it's going to end up with ESPN keeps everything on the NBA because I don't necessarily see Comcast and NBC getting involved anymore. I, that the 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 kind of circumstance that would lead Comcast and NBC to getting involved, that's not where the media industry is right now. People aren't just adding. If you're going to add the NBA, you're going to get a big part of it. And I don't think Comcast is going to be able to do that. I don't think the NBA has enough stuff for Comcast to get involved and make it worth their while. So I think ESPN We'll keep the finals exclusively and continue to be the A A partner, unless, you know, and that's something I actually forgot to to mention. The way people are getting new rights is different. They're not paying for the new rights. They're getting involved in relationships with the rights holders. Amazon did not pay for local rights to baseball or the NBA or hockey. They got involved with Sports. Whoever gets into the playoff in college football isn't going to pay for the rights or pay the CFP for the rights. They're going to pay ESPN for a a few games. I mean, you're seeing that these platforms are getting creative. They're not getting the deals themselves. They're finding more economical ways of getting involved. And that's going to be a problem for the leagues and the NBA, uh, maybe especially now that they're on the clock coming up next month.
1: That's that's fascinating. Do you see a similar structure um when when the NBA deals are finalized next year? Do, do you see that being a possibility where it, there's almost like a not necessarily a sub-license agreement like we saw with ESPN in the college football playoff, but there's a way for other potential rights holders to get involved, you know, throughout the term of the deal.
0: Yeah. NBC can buy uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. And I, I think that's, that's the only way I see NBC getting back in, is if Warner Brothers Discovery uh, is, is purchased by Comcast. Uh, or if WBD gets involved with Paramount, maybe CBS gets in. But mm-hmm. I don't see there being anything other than ESPN, Turner, and maybe Amazon in, in a similar way with their NASCAR deal, where it's kind of this like, oh, yeah, we got five races. whoopie do do? You know, I, I think there's going to be there's a lot of standing pat that's going on. I, I don't see that changing. Okay, just a couple more things before we sign off. Uh, one I uh, have not mentioned: ESPN hiring Nick Saban. He's going to be on Game Day alongside uh, the returning cast, so it'll be six people, basically the same as it was when they had uh, what's his name? Uh, David Pollock. Yeah, David Pollack. Um, uh, and uh, so obviously Nick Saban's a bigger star than David Pollock, so it'll be interesting they're in a transition period. They're well set up for after Lee Corso leaves. Uh, and I think when Lee Corso leaves, I think there's a, a non-zero chance Kirk Herbstreet will as well. And they're well set up for uh, for, for a future without uh, one or both of them. Um, so that was a, 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 well, you know, 72 years old Nick Saban, you know, uh, it won't, it's not necessarily that he will be there for 20 years, but certainly uh, at least for the, the near term, they're set up well. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention, we talked about the uh, joint venture ESPN WBD and Fox last year or last week feels like last year. Uh, (laughs) And uh, obviously since we recorded that podcast, ESPN announced that it will also launch its own direct to subscriber service in 2025. So the ESPN networks that right now you have to pay for a cable or an MVPD to access, you'll be able to get through two direct to subscriber services next year.
1: Yeah. And you know, I wouldn't, bank on this wbd fox espn thing actually coming to fruition just yet you know i think there's still a lot of hurdles to get over uh, a lot of i's to dot and d's and t's to cross uh, before this deal gets over the finish line so um i think it's probably wise of espn to continue going forward with their direct to subscriber plan um Mm -hmm. outside of the this um skinny bundle as people have been um, calling it.
0: Yeah, I mean the reality is that even if it works out in terms of the fans, you know, anytime you have partnerships between three companies, and you already see the threat of there being an issue.
1: Just three before. competitors. Yeah,
0: WBD should not have equal ownership, and ESPN and Disney—excuse me, Disney and Fox—are eventually, I think, going to have some some problems with that. Plus, Zaslav. I mean, I imagine he probably is a little. Uh, got a bit of a bull in a china shop so you know yeah and of course we have no idea what wbd will even be going forward so there's a lot of questions with that
1: yeah yeah definitely well john i'll I'll tease the um the listeners on on a piece coming out um probably either today as we're recording on wednesday or tomorrow uh, on thursday uh you know the reason i was not you know watching the super bowl this year was i was flying out to los angeles uh, to attend the launch of tiger woods's new apparel line uh sunday red three words sunday very um very unique experience got got chummy with the media at this event um very glitzy swanky you know glamour filled uh event shockingly um they they actually did let me in so uh we we had eyeballs on the inside there uh try to provide some insights to smw's readers on that um probably not going to focus too much on the launch you know i'm i'm not a fashionista john i'm there's no video element to this podcast thank god but um you know john has sees me come you know wearing baseball hats and hoodies pretty much every week so fashion is not really my, um, my strong suit. So I'm going to stay away from that and kind of focus on, you know, the media coverage of the event, who was there and why, um, why it was getting so much coverage. So, um, stay tuned for that one.
0: Grateful you were willing to travel on such short notice and miss the Super Bowl. That was all, you know, uh, not, every uh,
1: it, it wasn't a very, uh, very hard decision. Let me say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And of course, uh, I myself am at least planning to go to an NBA All-Star weekend here coming up. Uh, so uh, maybe I'll have some interesting things to report back as well. Stay tuned for Drew's article from the Tiger Woods event. Otherwise, we will see you back here next week.